0: but I wanted to love my mother. This is Serial Killing, a podcast. Hello again, and welcome to Serial Killing, a podcast. My name is Alyssa Carroll, and I'm the host and the creator of at serial underscore killing on Instagram, where we go through the life stories of serial killers to see if we might catch a glimpse of why they displayed their famous, vile, and disturbing behaviors. And of course, I want to give special thanks to some of my patrons. John, my girl Judy, David, Brie, Cassandra, Galen, Gabrielle, Emily, Emma, Nanette, Sophie, Sarah, Teresa, Florence, Robert, Katarina, Hammer, Janice, Freddie, Sam, and Catherine. Thank you so much, you are truly appreciated. Today's podcast is going to be on Takahiro Shiraishi. If I butchered that, I'm very sorry. He was also known as the Twitter killer. Now this one comes with my disclaimer disclaimer, okay? It involves some rather sensitive topics like suicide, dismemberment, and rape. So listener discretion is advised. Takahiro was born on October 9, 1990, in Sama, Japan, so let's get into some history for that time. North and South Yemen, also known as the Yemen Arab Republic and the People's Democratic Republic of Yemen, were united as the Republic of Yemen. North Yemen had once been a part of the Ottoman Empire before its independence in 1918. Also this year, a 7.4-magnitude earthquake hit Iran near the Caspian Sea northwest of Tehran. It affected roughly 20,000 square miles and destroyed thousands of homes. Around 50,000 people died and 135 were injured. Also in 1990, Nelson Mandela was released from his South African prison after being there for 27 years. He then became the leader of the African National Congress. In Switzerland, Tim Berners-Lee published a formal proposal for the World Wide Web. It outlined a system that would use hypertext, web pages, browsers, and web servers to share documents across the internet and he proposed it to his colleagues at CERN and they went on to help him develop the system that took around two years to be functional. NASA launched the Hubble Space Telescope from Kennedy Space Center in Florida. It was the first space telescope put into orbit that could be repaired by astronauts when maintenance was needed. In South Dakota, one of the largest and most well-preserved Tyrannosaurus rex fossils was found by Sue Hendrickson near Faith, South Dakota. They named the skeleton Sue after her. The remains were over 90% complete and measured around 13 feet tall and 40 feet long. It took team members around 17 days to remove the remains from the bluff it was discovered on. And finally, the demolition of the Berlin Wall officially began. It had been built in 1961 by the communist-run East Germany to keep defectors from traveling over the border to capitalist-run West Germany. So this was the atmosphere that he was born into. I couldn't find his parents name, but they married in 1989 and Takahiro was born the next year, a healthy baby boy. His mother stated that she read several books on babies and parenting as she wanted to be a great mother and she adored her new infant. He grew up in Zama, which is an hour and a half from central Tokyo with his parents and a younger sister who was two years younger than himself. His father worked for an automotive design shop. Now, Takahiro was described as a quiet, inconspicuous boy who, like most other children, attended the local elementary and junior high schools with many other children. He was an average student and was considered polite by his fellow classmates. Takahiro tried playing soccer in elementary school, but he stated he really wasn't very good. However, he did go on to say that he was not bullied as a child at all. While he was still pretty young, he had some reoccurring issues with his tonsils and he would be sick fairly often, and spent a lot of his free time playing video games. But when he felt well, he played outside some. They say that photos of him as a teen, though I couldn't find any, show a small and thin boy with glasses. He played on his junior high's baseball team and continued to play as a freshman but quit after just one year. He said that activities, or sports, that didn't require being on a team were preferred. He also later said that around puberty was when he began to withdraw from his peers and closer friends. He began to complain to his parents that he didn't want to go to school because he felt he didn't quite fit in with the other kids what few kids he did interact with, it was said that he would play games that involved mock strangulation. Then he began refusing to go to school regularly. This escalated to him flat out refusing to go to school altogether, though his parents did manage to get him to go enough that he didn't completely fail any grades so for the most part he isolated himself in his room and wouldn't come out except when it was time to eat his grades began to drop he would barely even communicate with his own family outside of what he called quote necessary conversation he admitted that his room was usually always a mess and he would promise his parents that he would cut back on his video game time and clean his room, but it was just to appease them so that they would stop bothering him about it. So, his parents began to, quite literally, turn off the electricity to his room so that he would be forced to stop playing. My source, translated from Japanese, stated, quote, "...dropped the breaker to stop the game." Unquote. So, that was my interpretation. Now, his parents doing this made him so angry that he would punch holes in the walls. Then, when he was a senior, he joined the track team. He did join a judo club because he believed physical education was important, but outside of that, he didn't involve himself in other school activities. At his parents' urging, he did get a part-time job at a local supermarket and his parents stated that they were, you know, relieved as the job got him off the games, was teaching him some personal responsibility, and quite frankly, got him out of the house. But it was during his high school years that things at home would escalate negatively and his parents decided to get divorced. His father kept the house and he stayed with him. His mother and sister moved out. He stated in an interview that he ran away from home three times before he even graduated from high school. And due to his lower grades, skipping school, and all around tardiness, his school would not recommend him to places of employment, which is apparently a thing in Japan, and correct me if I'm wrong, please feel free, So he had to continue working part-time, menial jobs. And this is what I could find about his childhood. So let's get into it. According to the site, socialstudies.org, quote, children in Japan learn from the family, school, community, and nation how to be members of Japanese society. In each group, a child learns the self-discipline and commitment expected to be a supportive and responsible group member. In the home and at school, a Japanese child is encouraged to develop a sense of self-discipline and hard work. Children are expected to persist toward a goal and it is considered more important to try hard and not give up than to achieve the goal, end quote. Now, there at least was, and from what I read still is, a very strong gender discrimination in Japan with regards to children's rights. Girls should be good and obedient housewives, and boys are expected to have prestigious careers. Also, the university system is quite elite. From elementary school, children are expected to work incredibly hard all throughout their scholastic lives so that they can enter into university. It was noted that numerous nursery schools even recruit competitively. So the consequence of this on the children is the constant stress of, quote, duty of excellence. The pressures put upon them is incredible. This has led to an unimaginable high rate of suicide, which we will get into later. Now in an article from Japan Today, the pressures of being nearly perfect is an incredible stressor to very small children. There is a growing number of children as young as three years old, indicating they are failing to cope with the debilitating stress from the pressure to be nearly perfect. They are pushed into an ultra-competitive system that makes little room for individual needs. Parents are often excessively attentive when pressuring their children to forgo most healthy childhood activities in favor of an endless stream of overly structured, constructive pursuits while also seemingly not focusing on the actual biological bond with the child, showing them love, warmth, and empathy. Now this is not across the board, of course. I'm not saying all Japanese parents are this way. I'm saying that it is statistically relevant and troubling. As attested by parents from Japan, there is an overwhelming emphasis on competition by elementary schools on up. Children are actually ranked and pitted against each other regarding, well, just about everything, such as athletic ability, test scores, all the way to things that they have absolutely no control over, such as their own height. So my question is, where does all of this leave room for the children to actually have a childhood? Now it would appear that Takahiro's parents loved him, but the societal pressures would have been just as hard on him. While most children do their best to cope, never knowing any other way to deal with this kind of stress, Takahiro sought escape through video games and being withdrawn from his peers. His parents, being concerned that their son would not be able to compete with other boys his age, did what they thought was best by limiting his games and whatnot, which did nothing but push him further into his isolation and escalating anger problems. And side note, I'm not against limiting video game time. Now, none of the sources explicitly stated that he was depressed, but from his own statements, testimonies, and so on, it is my own opinion that he was quite depressed. Symptoms of teen depression are being frustrated or feelings of anger, even over small matters, feeling hopeless or empty, irritable or annoyed mood, loss of interest in usual activities, loss of interest in or conflict with family and friends, low self-esteem, feelings of worthlessness, exaggerated self-blame and self-criticism, frequent thoughts of death by suicide, loss of energy, poor school performance, angry outbursts and suicidal plans or attempts. Takahiro seemed to fit nearly all of this criteria. And the suicidal ideation is an important theme for him. As he grew into a young adult, he began exploring suicide sites online and on his cell phone. So let's get back into the story. Now once Takahiro graduated high school, he began working odd jobs. He did grow into being a rather handsome young man. He worked at a supermarket, a food factory, and a panchico parlor which is basically kind of like an arcade. All the while he was surfing the web, visiting forums and sites, chatting with like-minded people who too felt suicide might be their only answer. And as we know, this is nothing new for Japan. According to the com, Japan has the sixth highest suicide rate in the world Nearly 22,000 people took their lives in 2016, which was actually a 22-year low. And remember, Japan is kind of small. And of course, we're all quite familiar with their suicide forest. Now, at the store that he worked at, he was in charge of the bakery department, and he wasn't, or at least didn't appear, to be unhappy with his job. His father and mother were still fighting with each other, and his mother later said, quote, my husband said, leave Takahiro to me and don't contact me. When I contacted him, he was expecting me to ask for money. Sure, I asked for money, but I transferred money from my account to Takahiro's account. Now, Takahiro would later say that he, quote, When it came to my mother, I think I had a lot of emotions, end quote, hinting at a possible issue with her. However, it was stated in really all sources that he had a close relationship with his father and would sometimes help his father out in the auto workshop. Though Takahiro was working at having some semblance of a personal life with people as young adults do, he would still have dinner with his father and drinks on occasion. And then he began hanging out in the more seedy parts of town, and people who knew him from those areas described him as an ambitious, dangerous man who was capable of betrayal. He started working as a recruiter or scout for a prostitution ring, luring women into brothels to work in the popular sex industry. And this really isn't surprising, the sexual exploitation of children and teens is at epidemic proportions around the world. Japan is no exception. In fact, from my findings, Japan is a popular destination for trafficking young female adolescents from Asia, Latin America, as well as Eastern Europe. They are made to believe that, once in Japan, they could have a good job, but the reality is completely different. Indeed, they are obligated very quickly to become sex workers. So now, during this time, people apparently began warning locals about him, saying he was a, quote, creepy scout. It was even stated that the younger local community began sharing photos of him amongst themselves, warning each other to keep their distance from him. And yet, Takahiro did manage to begin dating and had a pretty serious girlfriend for at least a short time. He had his father help him get a very small, modest apartment, measuring only 13.5 square meters or a bit over 145 square feet apartment with a small loft space for his bed that only cost him about the equivalent of $227 a month. It wasn't much, but it was his. His girlfriend, who lived with him for about three months, stated that Takahiro was, quote, Unusually more gentle than ordinary people, despite a morbid fascination with death and suicide. End quote. But she was a little disturbed at some of the text messages that he would send her, such as, quote, Let's commit suicide together. End quote. But he told his father that he had met the love of his life. And yet, in very early 2017, Takahiro was arrested for violating the Employment Security Act, the purpose of which was to provide every person with an opportunity to obtain a job that matched the person's abilities and met the labor needs of the industry. It was, very long story short, sort of a government program to help people on assistance get jobs. Now, I'm not exactly entirely sure what he did to violate the terms of this program, but regardless, he was bailed out of jail and he went back to his father's house where he said he wanted to, quote, live comfortably without working away from my father. I wanted to be a pimp of a woman. He did return to his apartment. And in March of 2017, Takahiro created a Twitter account where he called himself, quote, Hanging Pro, end quote. His profile picture was of an avatar with cut marks on its wrist, strangulation marks on its neck, and what sources say is a noose around his neck. He encouraged people to DM him or direct message him as he wanted to help suicidal people end their suffering. At this point, he was 27 years old. In his tweets, he even encouraged suicidal people to keep their thoughts of ending their own lives secret from their friends and family. Side note, please don't do that. Get help. It gets better. And all of this was really too much for his girlfriend, and she left him. He then made a decision that would change his fate forever. He began seeking out, more often, women who were suicidal that he thought would be easy targets. It was said that he searched for girls by looking up specific hashtags, which we all use to look up specific content. His motive was to fulfill a fantasy he had been having for quite some time. The want to sexually assault and kill other people, using their vulnerable mental state to lure them to his apartment. So before all that started, two months after he started his Twitter account, he was sentenced to one year and two months in prison, but was handed a three-year suspended sentence. All the while, he was on Twitter talking about how he wanted to end it all. Life had no meaning and wanted someone to end their life with him. So as girls messaged him, he told them he could help them kill themselves. And sometimes he even told them that he would do the same to himself with them. A pact, if you will. For the ones that agreed to meet him, he would make them feel more at ease by agreeing to meet them at a train station that would be near their own homes, then escort them to his own apartment. Once he successfully got them back to his place, he would then make them a drink, ply them with alcohol laced with tranquilizers or sleeping pills then sexually assault and rape them. Now, I'm not entirely convinced that this is the exact order of his timeline, but regardless, these were his victims. In early August 2017, he met a young lady on Twitter and told her he wanted to end his life. She discouraged him, and he invited her to his apartment. They met up, went to the apartment where he drugged her, raped her, strangled her by hanging her, and took all of the money that she had on her person. And this was it. Right then and there, he made the decision that this act would satisfy two goals. It was a way for him to get money without having to work, and he could satisfy his sexual urges at the same time. However, he wasn't quite sure what he wanted to do with the body. He later testified, quote, "It was difficult at first. It took me three days to get rid of the first body, but after that, I could deal with them within one day." End quote. He took her body to his bathroom where he dismembered her. He later confessed, "Quote." I disposed of their flesh and internal organs like garbage, but kept their bones out of fear that I would be caught." The bones and heads he kept in various coolers in his apartment and took bags of remains out to be collected by the trash service. Now the second victim had agreed to meet him at her local train station and then they would go back to his apartment. Once there, she was treated much the same as the first, drugged, raped, strangled, and robbed. He then disposed of her in the same fashion as the first. As each victim was lured to his apartment and murdered, his neighbors noticed that while there hadn't been any indication that he was doing what he was doing, no screams or unusual sounds coming from his apartment, they did begin to complain about a persistent pungent smell coming from his flat and some later pointed out that they found it strange that they could hear his bathroom ventilation fan on at all times. He never turned it off. It ran constantly. So by late October, he had murdered his eighth victim, one of which was the only male who had been the boyfriend of one of his female victims who had come to his apartment to confront him about the whereabouts of the girl. Takahiro murdered him as well. His ninth victim was a 23-year-old woman from a Tokyo suburb. After her family realized she was missing, her brother managed to hack into her Twitter account where he found her and Takahiro's morbid correspondence and the suicide pact that they had made together. The brother contacted the police and a woman offered to help in catching Takahiro because she had been communicating with him too. So then the police were able to find CCTV footage of Takahiro and the man's sister walking together by railroad tracks and then again very near his apartment. So the woman contacted Takahiro and they agreed to meet. Once she was in the apartment, the police arrived and began asking Takahiro where the missing sister was. At first, he feigned ignorance, but it didn't take long at all for him to tell them that her remains were in a freezer. In fact, he said she's over there. Police searched the apartment, and to their shock and horror, they found the remains of nine people, one being a male and four of the females being just teenagers, stored in various containers in the apartment. Their remains were in varying states of decomposition, and it appeared that he had used cat litter in the containers to help contain the odor. There were seven containers in all, holding mostly bones and severed heads were also covered in cat litter. Takahiro also confessed to deleting messages between himself and some of his victims in an attempt to get rid of any potential evidence. According to the Generation Y podcast, a total of 240 bones were discovered. They also found purses cell phones, and identification in his apartment. And side note, all of this really reminds me of Mr. Dahmer. So Takahira was arrested then and there, conveniently, on Halloween 2017. When interviewed, his father stated that his son had told him prior to beginning his murder spree that, quote, life had no meaning, end quote. When they asked Takahiro if he had felt any remorse for his actions, he said that while he had people he loved and felt some bond with, he had absolutely no feeling one way or the other toward his victims. His only regret was being caught, and if he hadn't been caught, he most certainly would have continued to kill. Now, the psychiatrist who performed the psychiatric examination met with only his father and not his mother. The evaluation actually lasted five months, and after, he was deemed sane. There was no mental defect, and he could stand trial. During his trial, Takahiro pleaded guilty to nine murders. His lawyer tried to say that each victim had agreed to be murdered, that they were all assisted suicides, and that they had wanted to die, though Takahiro himself denied this defense. He was ultimately sentenced to death, and Takahiro said he would not be appealing that sentence. And it is important to note that his death sentence is death by hanging, The BBC reported that death row inmates in Japan are not told when they will be put to death until the day of their execution, which usually takes a few years. Now, this case actually prompted Twitter to change and amend its rules with regards to suicide and self-harm. It also triggered a new debate about how to help those who are considering suicide in Japan and their government has indicated that it very well may introduce new regulations. So again, this case kind of reminds me of Jeffrey Dahmer, in that he lured victims to his apartment, drugged them, sexually assaulted them, strangled and dismembered them and kept some of their remains in his home. Once he knew that he was caught, he gave up completely, being brutally honest with how he felt and his motivations. He didn't have any remorse for his actions, stating quite plainly that he would have kept killing had he not been caught. He killed for two reasons, money and sexual gratification, feeling no empathy whatsoever for each of his victims. While I'm not diagnosing him whatsoever, the thoughts and behaviors that he displayed are in line with antisocial personality disorder, which include a disregard for right and wrong, deceit to exploit others, being callous, cynical, and disrespectful to others, using charm and wit to manipulate others for personal gain or pleasure, impulsiveness, hostility, aggression, violence, lack of empathy, and so on. And again, if you are feeling suicidal, please, please call the suicide helpline, talk to someone, open up to someone, be honest about it. There's help out there, and people do care. And as always, much respect to the victims. We in this community tell these stories, not only to educate, tell the story and entertain, but also that the victims are not forgotten. So tell me guys, what do you think? Leave me a comment below if you're watching the video or you can DM me on Instagram, at serial underscore killing. You can email me at serialkillinginstagram at gmail.com, um, consider becoming a patron and as always. Thank you so much for listening because I know you could be listening to anyone else, but you chose me and I really appreciate that. Thank you so much and have a great day.